0: Welcome to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sanjay Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sanjay Gall. Hello, and uh, welcome to
1: CTN. To learn more about this show, please visit CIOtalknetwork.com. And today's topic is the people side of cybersecurity turning organizations' weakest link into their greatest strength. What are we talking here? So quite a few organizations and uh, leaders in security would say that people are the weakest link. So we have been investing in educating people. Uh, We try to do programs and, and do training on security risks. We also as part of the strategy of adoption, we we try to identify and then build cybersecurity champions who would get other people involved and get them perhaps to adopt security practices. Then we also introduce incentive programs so that we come up with that security first behaviors, which we all would love to see adopted and embraced by the user community. Well, all of that tried, right? the results, many report that they are not the, the, the most desirable one. We can definitely improve. And some people go even further to say, hey, you know what? It proves that computers are designed to be the secure ones, whereas people are not. How much truth is to that? And if that's the case, can we do better? How can we make security the very foundation embed it into the very DNA of an organization, and then make sure that we allow the organization to grow with confidence while building trust at the speed of change. To discuss this, we have James Johnson, who's the Chief Information Security Officer with John Deere. Hey, James, how are you? Good, how are you, sir? Very good. Lovely having you. Uh, we have Abiyodun Morolari, who is the Chief Information Security Officer with the City of Toronto, Canada. Hey, Abi, how are you?
2: Hi, Sanjog.
1: Great, great to have you. And we also have John Warden, Assistant Vice President for Security, Compliance and Risk Management, and the Chief Information Security Officer at the Miami University. Hey, John, how's life?
3: It's going great,
1: Sanjog. Great, great. Great to have all of you, such an amazing panel here. So let's start with you, James. You know, anyone we would hire in in, in, an enterprise, of course, as part of our hiring practices or invariably whosoever ends up being in an an organization, uh, would be educated, would be knowledgeable, would be experienced. And also, hopefully, if uh, trained well and and given the right environment, they will also be conscious about their responsibilities. But then with such a DNA or such personalities and the background of people, what makes them vulnerable to security risks, some, sometimes ignorant as well?
4: Yeah. So first of all, thanks a lot for having me on, on this podcast. Excited to be here. Um, I think there's several things that I think affect our employees uh, when they're having issues uh, detecting threats that come in via email, phishing threats, those types of things. The first one is they're in a hurry. Uh, Second, you can be distracted. I think um, there are some compelling topics that that often come into when people do this. They're very good at targeting a company or targeting the time like a quarter end or compliance training due dates. Uh, We've seen some, some serious traction in those spaces. So You know, the challenge is that we're very busy. We get a lot of different inputs into our lives, especially our digital lives, and trying to manage that uh, and and be aware all the time is a challenge. We have to make it part of the muscle memory, which at Deere, we really focused on trying to change the culture. So it's not just about, you know, get good at fishing simulations, get good at spotting a fish, those types of things. It's really about helping people understand why this is important to them at home and in their personal lives. That's how we've approached it, John Deere.
3: So, uh, yeah, go ahead, Sanjog, I have a like to add something. I agree with James one hundred percent. Another aspect I like to think about. Um, one of the quotes I, I saw by Sarah Baza from Boss Hunting Magazine. She said, "Trust is programmed into our genes. We're only we're the only species born completely useless, who solely rely on others for care. The default assumption is that people are decent and harmless and key to our survival." So, in addition to what James. Uh, stated is we're instinctively want to trust as humans as well. We're expected to trust the police. We trust our doctors, our leaders, the food at the supermarket, other cars on the road. So it takes a lot of effort to counter that embedded trust and empathy and concern for others um, to be cautious, to be concerned, to look out for being duped. Um, And I also think that most employees assume that their security force is already protecting them with policies and controls in place. So I think that the trust plays a role in, in the vulnerabilities.
1: Abhi, yeah. you, you've lived in both sides, right? Public and private. What's been your diagnosis, if you will?
2: Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Sanjog. And, you know, uh, John and James both made excellent point in terms of, you know, the new human nature. Uh, I think it also boils down to the other f- factors of the inherent human nature and also the emotions that we all have of curiosity, fear, and greed. And, you know, uh, some of these bad-thread actors, they play on these uh, emotions. So curiosity, for example, you are very eager to find out the latest story they're proposing in in that email. And, of course, fear as well. Uh, Your account is going to be shut down if you don't click this link. And greed, you know, you've won a lottery. You need to click on this link as well. So Human emotions has nothing to the le- to do with the level of education or whatever uh, role you play, and because it's human nature, it's a very difficult thing, you know, to actually get, you know, uh, traction on in terms of addressing. Except we made it muscle so memory, so for people to sort of have it in their brain all the time. Now, again, you know, on the flip side of that is the rapidly changing threat environment. You know, so these days, uh, most organizations are going hybrid, and that is opening up a sort of world of threat landscape that people are also not used to. And, you know, we are security professionals. You also look at that angle in terms of proposing, you know, specific trainings that will help people, you know, just to make sure cybersecurity and security at large is top of mind, you know, for every individual in the organization.
1: Now... Uh, so, Abhi, when you talk about this, uh, they themselves are aware, right? That I could have greed or I could be excited, etc. But that means their human tendencies are almost, almost every time overriding any training or anything that you uh, impart to these people. Is that is why this is happening or do you think we can do a better job of us overriding their natural tendency. So this almost becomes like a tug of war or a race, or a, uh, you, you there's a tussle between the two sides.
2: Absolutely, Sanjog. I think what we need, once we are cautious of the fact that that does exist in terms of the challenges, you know, our users face, then we need to make sure that we are running targeted training. Uh, to help them sort of overcome some of those emotions. So, for example, the training should be targeted to the roles, you know, the individual play in the organization. So if I'm running a cyber awareness and training program, uh, the engineers who work in the field should have a different, some sort of different kind of training than the person who will sit in the office, you know, as an admin officer who will send maybe three emails in a day, for example, because when we make it, you know, uh, directed to their daily activity and even their personal life as well, it's easier for people, you know, to identify with that. And that also helps them in terms of their muscle memory as well. You know, so I think we can help, you know, our users sort of uh, make it top of mind and help them overcome some of these emotions. We cannot eliminate it but We can train and help people by also making sure those cyber trainings are targeted to the environment and their specific conditions as well.
1: So, John, based on what Abhi said, how realistic is it for you to discuss, design, and deploy a fit-for-purpose training, which is almost doing a surgical strike on the psyche of those individuals who are assuming different roles, and then be able to see incremental changes in behavior? I mean, just to get a regular broad-stroke security program itself to get it uh, underway is a challenge for many. Can we can we realistically deliver on what RB is suggesting?
3: I think we I think we can. I think it's a uh, uh, we do uh, we do have busy and overburdened uh, employees. Uh, they have their own jobs to worry about. Uh, the malicious actors they know this that that's the case. They know that there's there's weaknesses in their armor that they can attack. Um, but I think it's, uh, in agreement with Avi, it's, it's optimum that we build a, a culture of cybersecurity awareness. Um, I think a lot of folks do it. We share articles um, when we see scams, when we see phishing. Uh, we try to let people know. Uh, we hold National Cybersecurity Awareness Month and other training events. We use simulated phishing training program. We, in the, we have our click rates in the, in the double digits. We're trying to currently trying to get down into the single digits across our divisions and colleges on the, on, at the university. Um, we also put in place a, a monthly cadence of uh, meeting with cybersecurity champions across the university, and that's, uh, that's interested people 50 to 60 or so um, across the different divisions and colleges that we meet with monthly to share with them updates, um, awareness tips. We bring in guest speakers from FBI, Homeland Security, and we share that information with them, try to keep them interested and excited about it. And they seem they've been coming back for uh, over a year and a half now. So there's interest. And what that does, it's, it uh, plants the seeds for that awareness. And, and they, those folks then take it back to their cubicles and their offices and their coworkers, and they can start to share that information, to try to build that culture. In higher education, we also have we have a central IT organization, but we also have distributed IT folks in the different colleges and divisions, and we meet with them once a month as well um, to include them in our policies and our strategy uh, for our cybersecurity program, so that so that we are broadening the awareness. James, you got global organization,
1: quite a few personas in terms of business technology supply chain, you name it. Taking Abi's idea, then what John is saying, the kind of tactics that they may have uh, deployed. All of that, I'm sure you must be trying and are doing many of these things. What really moves the needle? I mean, you can do a bunch of things. What really moves the needle where you start seeing signs that these guys are getting a wake-up call or they are behaving better? So,
4: first of all, we we have done, I think, most of those things. Um, I, I love the approach, and I, I don't envy John trying to do this in a university environment. That's a real challenge. Um, I've worked with Iowa State and just heard about how challenging that can be in that space. Um, but from our perspective, a couple things. The first thing is you have to make it easy to report things. We've done a lot to have really simple simple ways to report fishing campaigns or things that they're seeing that they are concerned about. So, if you have a question, just report it to us. We'll get back to you quickly and let you know if it's legitimate or not. Um, we we also, when they report about a validation campaign, we follow up and we say, hey, thank you so much for reporting this. We were able to remove this threat from our environment in a very fast time period, thanks to your reporting. Uh, we'll send them some swag, a coin. We find ways to celebrate. Um, but I also think, you know, our team has done a really nice job of building kind of a, if you will, a motto. And the motto is, you're the shield, right? So, we, we all look at our employees and we think that they're the weakest link. They're also the best solution we've got. Uh, they, they are the, the, the fingers and the toes. They feel things first. And if, if they can let us know when things are happening and we get alerted early, we can stop a lot of threats. And so we have a goal that when we have something reported to us, uh, a fishing campaign is legitimate, we want to remove from our environment within four hours, 24-7, 365. And we're actually beating that pretty well. We're, we're under two hours now, I think, is our, our last quarter metric. We make that very visible to our board of directors as well. This is a, a metric we actually share from a culture standpoint with our, with our CEO, our leadership team, and also the board of directors. So I think making it visible, making it easy to report, and then helping our employees understand that they are part of the solution, not part of the problem, and why it's important that they're part of that solution.
1: So so based on what your response is, James, Abi, what should be expectation or what should the security leadership and or security team expect from people to what degree should they be vigilant? To what degree should they be reporting stuff? Should, what degree should they uh, behave for you to say, okay, we have reached, uh, you know, our Holy grail or at least we are close to it. There has to be some benchmark, right?
4: I think so. You know, we've set targets within uh, Deere. I think our goal is that, uh, 90% of our employees when they get a phishing campaign, either report it or delete it. We'd like them to report it. And, and we do, we're do. we doing pretty well. I wouldn't say we're, we're all the way there yet, but people are going to make mistakes. We have compensated controls. Other things we do to catch catch malicious things that are happening. We've got other controls on endpoints. Uh, so as we went through remote work, having endpoint detection was very important for us as well. Um, it isn't just about the people. There's other things we can do. Uh, and there's never going to be an end to this, right? This is all it was about raising the bar. So when our metrics get really good, we start sending out more challenging fishing campaigns because we want to continue to build that muscle memory, and make our employees stronger, and make them uh, always thoughtful and thinking about what's happening in the environment. I'd be curious as to what the other folks in the call think about what they're doing and what their targets are as well.
2: Yeah, we? uh, absolutely, James. I think uh, you just hit the nail on the head. Now, one thing is, we always, you know, uh, chase after continuous improvement because. I'm not sure we ever be 100%. We keep on, you know, uh, trying to improve as we go along. But it's very important, you know, for us not to lose sight of the numbers and percentage of, you know, security-related incidents that have been reported by the users. Because as we continue training the users, they become more aware. They'll become more confident in identifying what they feel, uh, either phishing emails or any other sort of security related incidents that they then report. Once we start seeing those numbers creep up, then we know that uh, some of the trainings we've been delivering is already delivering some of the the goods for us. Now, we also look at random percentage of strong credentials. So when we start seeing people use very strong credentials, for example, uh, we see that some of those trainings, which are the easiest, you know uh, passwords, you know, your MFAs, and we see the way people are you know using them in terms of the strength. we also can gauge, you know uh, that our cyber awareness program is also eating the mark. Now there are a couple of things you know that we also consider that you know will increase the chances of success, you know uh, because if we if we keep doing targeted communication, you know, we ensure that business and real world relevant trainings are included, and we are very nimble. We can pivot quickly. So, uh, during the COVID uh, 19, uh, where people are to go work from home and people are still working in hybrid, for example, we include contents that are also describe, you know, a change in the environment where people are logging in, because then people are logging from their homes, coffee shops, and the rest. So we are able to pivot the program as well, uh, so that it remains fresh and relevant, you know, to the people as well. Or in general, we just need to keep tracking, you know, the numbers of incidents and phishing emails reported, and also, you know, the percentage of uh, strong credentials we keep seeing in the system you know, just to know that we're tracking in the right direction.
1: So, John, when you look at who we have uh, as people, I mean, yeah, they have the right background and education, etc. as I mentioned, you train them a little bit, but then, and, and then of course you got limited resources, no matter how big the organizations, it's only so much money you can put into security and you are having a match against people who have god knows how much more money how many more resources and they are so relentless and they are hell bent on cracking through it is this truly a match we could win or at most keep taking care of our bruises so that we get more bruises later
3: i think you're uh, i think that's a great question Sandra. the um, we do expect a lot um, from our uh, from our users we uh, they are they're busy uh, overburdened and the, and the malicious actors know this we kind of hinted on it earlier uh, We see that in the primary attack as a primary tactic for um, the old business email compromise attack where they send a phishing email or an email that's spoofed that's pretending to be the uh, their their supervisor or their boss asking for them to get gift card codes or money, sending money. Um, We just recently, in the last two weeks, uh, experienced something brand new. We experienced a a BEC type attack, a business email compromise attack via Google Chat. We're a Google office here, a Google shop. And um, we saw the first Google Chat message that was uh, from a domain uh, that was outside our own university domain, but appeared to be close to it. Um, and they started out, are you available or on campus today? Um, so the uh, the malicious actor, the bad actor, has learned that um, there's another avenue. Um, we you know, we've taught them, we've, we've we've shared awareness tips on how to recognize emails. And now we've we've had to start our campaign up to inform our folks and inform our constituents about um, that they could be attacked via Google Chat. Um, so that was a, a, a big event. It was a shock to us and, and something that shows that, that they are a match for us. It, we are going to get bruises. We're going to feel it. Uh, but we, you know, we are persistent. We're persistent and we continue uh, to look for what the challenges are inside and outside the university and in, try to keep our folks as, as aware as possible.
1: So James, like we talk about omni-channel marketing, right? Where we want to tackle a customer. It's almost intuitive for uh, an intruder to try all possible channels where you're not your customer, you're someone who's more like a prey. So is security seeing it in, in that uh, way to kind of secure you from all channels?
4: I think we're doing our best to do that. Um, you know, we've seen similar attacks coming in with some, some I would say, not great deep fakes uh, or, or those types of things, uh, you know, voice Uh, basically voice modulation, those types of things coming in. But what's interesting is this is about situational awareness, right? Teaching our employees, whatever the channel is, whatever the communication mechanism is, to just ask themselves the question before they click on something or respond to something. Is this how the CEO is going to reach out to me for this activity? Or is this how someone would be reaching out? And, you know, our our goal is not just that at at work, but also, you know, if you get a weird email uh, about your credit card, don't call the number. In the email, call the number back to your credit card. So it's just about being situationally aware and being intelligent in a day and age where everything could be fraud. Um, and I, I do think that you know when it comes to advanced persistence, threats, right, nation states, uh, no, no company is going to be able to survive that. I mean, if they come after you, it's going it to be very challenging to stop all those different attacks, different mechanisms, especially with you know, all the different communication mechanisms we have today, with you know different solutions that are in front of us on our PCs every day. So I think that's a part of it. We also try to make it fun for people, so. Our team's done some cool stuff with like escape rooms, teaching our employees in escape rooms different things about you know, password management, uh, how to protect secrets uh, more effectively, and also you know, how, to, how to find the clues, if you will, and things that come across in email or other communications.
1: So, so James, when you try to teach all of this, and there was uh, a component of a busy an overworked and overburdened employee, and you're expecting situational awareness. I'm not saying that is impossible, but you see that in a way because the way we, not exactly we make our employees work, but the way these people are, you know, they're busy.
4: Yep. And, so, and, you know, my team got me last year on a fishing campaign. So it's possible uh, to, to, to catch people off guard. Especially when you send things that look like, I mean, look legitimate and the timing is right from that perspective makes it challenging. Uh, and, and the culture of your company can also be a weapon that's used uh, by adversaries to, 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 to more effectively target your company. So companies that are all about compliance, uh, they, they might target you with compliance emails. Like this training was due yesterday, you better get after it since it's going to be you know, escalated tomorrow to the next level above you. You better get it done. Those types of things, at uh, different companies can be
1: a challenge. So, Abhi, talk about the size of the organization. You are dealing with a huge organization, which lots of citizens who, uh, in some form or fashion, or maybe even the employee base, uh, they are working in an organization. Could you do a comparison and or a contrast against the private sector who may have different construct, if you will, in the which security needs to be managed? And what are you doing different, new, or more?
2: Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Sanjol. I think, like you said, the complexity and size of organizations matter. So uh, I'll describe our own current situation. So as a municipality, uh, the uh, city of Toronto is the fourth largest in North America, the largest in Canada. And we have uh, 44 divisions within the city. And one of those divisions, by the way, is Toronto Water who makes billions of dollars in revenue and with more than 4,000 employees on its own. So you could actually list to Water on the stock exchange. And then we have the small matters of over 30 agencies and corporations that is also under the purview of my office as well. Now, within those divisions, you have a fire department, you know, Uh, You have water, like I said, transportation, you have finance, you have corporate IT. So you have a mix of different, you know, sort of businesses and personas that, you know, you also need to address their needs. Uh, One of the things that have worked for us in managing that sort of complex, large organization of more than 33,000 employees is making sure that those trainings are done with empathy. You know, We need to put ourselves in the, in the situation and position of the businesses that we are, we are targeting. So for example, uh, the trainings that we're gonna be doing for SCADA unit engineers is gonna be a little bit different from the training we'll be doing for finance folks, for example. So it's a lot of work, it's a lot of iteration, Uh, But it's something that needs to be done, especially in a large and complex organization for us to be able to build our muscle memory and also achieve the best result. Now the other part is also the fact that when we talk about users, we sometimes assume that the system administrators, the network admins, you know, will know exactly what to do when it's efficient emails. We've seen in practice that that is usually not the case, so we're also targeting those level of uh, users that have privileged access with specific security trainings as well, just to make sure that the folks who sort of owe the keys to the kingdom themselves are also kept on their toes and they're aware of what could go wrong in their own environment as well.
1: Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back after these messages. And when we come back, so John, let's talk about additional checks and balances that an organizational needs to put in. So, yeah, we all discussed about the different cool things we can do to get people to be motivated to become vigilant. But people not always do what you expect, they do what you inspect. So, what kind of inspection do you do? And how accurately can you do that inspection to make sure that they are being vigilant because once the damage is done it's done you want to prevent that that means you are doing proactive check if you will if these people are up to speed so they will not become the weakest link for the next breach that might occur please stay tuned listeners we'll be right back.
0: You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network with Sunjo Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit ciotalknetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, John, do you have
1: uh, a check-in with people? Do you have a mechanism where you, number one, check, okay, what's the effectiveness of my program? And secondly, uh, are people continually staying vigilant and they're not dropping the wall or ball and and which may be otherwise creating a a vulnerable situation for the whole organization? What would those be if at all you could put one in place or you've put in place?
3: Yes, Sanjo. Thank you. I think uh, first I'll mention the simulated fishing training we have. Um, We do uh, hit every division across the university. It takes about three months uh, to hit every division. And um, we use that as a kind of a metric to see where we are. And as James had stated, that uh, we try to increase the difficulty as as they get better at it. I think the more realistic and more informative metric that we use, and also James mentioned, was the monitoring of our, of our info, information security email address, where we ask folks to send us suspicious emails, scams, phishing, um, anything they have a question about. And then what we do in addition to that is we answer them individually and we try to focus on the strong performers over the poor performers when it comes to training and awareness, we find that reinforcing good behavior is the best tactic. Uh, we want people want to hear that they're doing a great job. So we let them know when they've informed us about something um, that that uh, we appreciate it, that we're taking action on it. And they relish in that and they continue to share with us. And then they'll share that with other folks. They'll tell other folks, their coworkers, um, that, hey, it's, you should send that to the InfoSec guys they'll uh they they really they really take care of us uh, when we're out there, so reinforcement uh is used, we try not to use uh form responses if we can get away with it to our senders uh that send those in because those are just boring and 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 that. so we try to uh we try to communicate with them, let them know we appreciate it um, and uh, I think that's that's the two models that 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 we use.
1: James, if you have put things in place, are you able to, with confidence, say that whatever checks and balances did you put in there, they are allowing you to incrementally move towards your goal, and that is where you have tangible measures coming out of it versus a hunch that things are going well?
4: Yeah, I think continuous improvement is always going to be there, but you know, we gave a lot of thought to these metrics when we put them in place because they really are trying to measure the culture of our company are we situationally aware are we reporting things that look suspicious and i, I agree with what john said 100% like we've got to find ways we try we, we send swag we have direct communications with users that report things that are that are valid even the things that are invalid uh, also when employees get phishing uh, campaigns from our team uh, and and they do the right thing with them we let them know hey you didn't take the bait great job from that perspective so uh, i think we try to encourage the right behaviors Uh, We also, though, have checks. You know, we have people that repeat click. And if they repeat click, they get training again uh, in the next month. And then if they repeat click again, uh, we talk to their managers and have a conversation. We've we've not gone as far yet as to put it into performance reviews or evaluations. But there's probably a thought about that down down the road, especially if we have folks who just don't seem to get it uh, from that perspective.
1: Avi, if uh, people don't do as they are supposed to, should you take ownership as the security leadership and security team, or are you going to pass the buck back to the people because they're the weakest link and they're just not listening?
2: Well, that's a, that's a fantastic uh, question, Sanjog. Um, I think, in, in my own opinion, it's uh, all about leadership and the support for the process. Uh, so within the city, for example, uh, when we send out this training, We also track, you know, completion rate. And also, we also track completion rate for the leaders as well. So my peers, you know, uh, are the city division heads and also our senior executive teams as well, including the counselors. We track completion rate, uh, you know, for training and awareness. And we we sort of deal with all those, uh, uh, those behaviors in terms of people not completing their trainings or not exhibiting the behaviors we want. At the very top, because then that drives the behaviors of everybody within those areas as well. Because once the end users see that the leadership is also being held responsible and accountable for how seriously they take cybersecurity or information security, then it helps them, you know, to understand that the corporation takes this very seriously and shapes their behavior as well. So we use those tactics, you know, to get people. Uh, to comply and we also call out and reward you know best behaviors in terms of the the uh, the completion rate the first divisions to reach 100% for example and those are some of the uh, soft tactics that you know i believe will always help the users because we always have to lead with empathy You know, and at the end of the day, the business needs to run and also make profit for private sector and public sector. We have to provide services. So those are some of the ways or, you know, tactics we've deployed, you know, to sort of manage people to ensure that they comply with some of the things we roll out.
1: So Abi mentioned, so this is a question for you, John. Abi said we have to lead with empathy, but a CISO gets fired if there is a breach. That question doesn't seem balanced. How do we balance it?
3: Uh, well, not all CISOs get fired if there's a breach. It's a um, uh, it, it's a culture uh, thing, and and I've been to plenty of organizations that um, uh, that the CSO he's a he's an empathetic leader, as Avi mentioned. He's involved. He's works collaboratively across the business. Um, he's a part of the success. So I don't know that they all get bri- that get fired. Um, but I think that um you have to uh you have to focus you have to remember that your employees uh are playing an essential role in the, in the company. We have a lot of technical controls in place you know we protect the the borders with firewalls and intrusion prevention systems um, but some of these uh some of these attacks get through they prey on the weakness of our of our folks and um, it's going to happen. So we, uh, we're encouraged, uh, we encourage our, our, our folks to, uh, to play a role in protecting the company. Uh, we keep them aware as much as possible without trying to overdo it. You know, oversaturation could be a, a bad thing. We empower them um, so they can feel like they're part of a solution. Uh, the, they are the first to spot an attack sometimes. And the ones that do get through, they're first to spot them. And then they're the first that can help us mitigate them by unplugging them from the wall or turning off their Wi-Fi. Um, so there's, uh, they play a huge role. Um, we treat them as partners in, uh, in the cybersecurity world. Um, I hate that. I wish we didn't have to. I wish that they didn't have to think twice about cybersecurity. But we're not there yet. I think we will get there eventually. Uh, but they're still prey to... Uh, to the tactics of the malicious actors out there. And um, every employee needs to be empowered and feel they're part of the solution.
1: James, how much influence can you exert on the executive management so that they also take ownership, if not co-ownership along with you, if people are the weakest link and that is causing the issue? Or should they... Just stay out of it and let you do your thing? Well, I, I think you know, we've got great support here
4: from leadership. That's one of the reasons. That that was the point that Abi made earlier was really important is that it does come from the top. And so the support we've had for our program from leadership has been very important. And they're willing to call things out. Uh, and, and they're also, if we provide them with the right data, they're happy to share that with the different teams. The more you can slice and dice your data across your organization, figure out where you might have issues, challenges, or gaps, where people, the culture is just not where it needs to be at from a situational awareness perspective. We can target those areas. And so, you know, if we see people targeting our finance group, we'll jump on their next global town hall meeting we'll have a conversation about here's what's happening in your space. These threats are real. This is just a reminder to do things differently and to do better.
1: So one is to point that out to the finance leader. Another is for them to take ownership of saying that my team will step up and they will do what's taken, what what's needed, and they will meet the standards and benchmarks that you're establishing for the whole organization. And our our team will meet. So, are they stepping up, or they just say, "Okay, we have all your all, all our support"?
4: I think it's. I think they're definitely stepping up, and, and they're definitely owning the conversation and helping to drive this home for our teams. You know, getting thirty minutes on a global finance town hall meeting—it's a big ask. And so, when they schedule us for those conversations. We send great speakers with great content. Um, we're a very sought after group to have them present at these meetings. Uh, if we want to show up, they want us to be there because people are listening and asking great questions.
1: So, Avi, when you built the programs, uh, and this is not something new that we're talking, right? Yeah, digital only made things complicated. How, uh, how do you go ahead and improve things? On incremental basis, you said continuous improvement, right? So that that is always there. But continuous improvement means continuous investments. Does it give you continuous return, especially when the landscape is changing, the things are getting more complex? So does your continuous improvement and investment just help you keep your head above water or you're able to swim?
2: Yeah. That's a fantastic question. Uh, I think being uh, in the public service as a municipality, uh, we, we frequently audited. We have a very active uh, Auditor General's office who has been helping us you know, to shape us and, of course, uh, be able to swim the way we are swimming today. So we do measure ourselves and our success very frequently, and uh, we do uh, pivot because we have to stay nimble in the environment where we operate so our cyber awareness program uh we we have very good partners working with us in terms of shaping the program and the content is frequently changing as well as the threats landscape also changes as well so we have a uh, dedicated com- uh, content for different parts of the of the city uh, administration as well and that helps us to keep things fresh and also help us to also uh, measure in terms of the performance as well. So we have internal measurement, we have external audits that goes, you know, goes on every time. And in the last two years, you know, according to one of our external auditors, the maturity level for the cybersecurity at the city has almost doubled in terms of the attention we're paying, you know, especially to the human element of cybersecurity, security. So, yes, uh, we are measuring all those metrics. And, yes, uh, we can also improve, you know, as well. But it takes a lot of time. Investment is required. So the continued support of uh, the executive committee and, in our case, the council as well, is, uh, is what helps us, you know, to move forward uh, in, this, in this way.
3: If I could add on to Abby's uh, great statement. There, um, we uh, we also built a cybersecurity strategy fairly recently, within six months ago, a six a six year strategy. But we we also added a, a reassessment every two years um, because of that very f- facts that Abby was saying that things are changing, so we have to take a look. Um, so we let when we did present it to our board of trustees, we we informed them about that that we were going to relook at this. So any any um, uh, investments we make our plan to make could change over uh, in a two-year period, or you know, a one-year period. Even we see things, we see new technologies coming all the time. The the bad actors are learning, getting trickier and having better tactics to get through uh, the technology. Even um, so, we we think that the we want to. I just wanted to add that the reassessment every, you know, every couple years is important.
1: Now we, as part of the topic, right, we did say that how can you take the current state where we say people are the biggest link and making them biggest strength? That's quite a leap or quite a shift, right? So, John, if you had that magic formula, would you like to share of how do you go
3: 180 degrees? Sure. I um, I think I have this conversation I've had this conversation about this very topic um, with with the, my colleagues in the information security office here uh, quite often they I have a I have a belief I have a faith that that within 10 years we'll be able to reduce a lot of the of the responsibility off our users um, but I do hear the opposition that um, and rightly so that the humans will always have that sense of trust and empathy and care and concern of others that, they'll, that they will fall for scams and, and uh, um, flim flams as we go uh, down the road. But and I, one of the great uh, suggestions I heard was we need to start teaching uh, critical thinking from an early age. Um, it's not necessarily a magic formula that we can turn on right this second, but it's a proven foundation in, in shaping behaviors Um, you know, for, we teach kids how to be polite about manners, starting very early for them to learn that. It's unfortunate, but now we have to maybe consider teaching them about being cautious with technology, with communications, with the detection of suspicious or scamming uh, type emails or chats or communications. They spend a lot of time on social media, these, these young kids these days. So um being prepared for that that not everybody is a is a honest person they're talking to Unf- unfortunately has to start earlier i think so teaching critical thinking from an early age is key ensuring that the employees um vigilance is key you know we talked about reinforcing that uh, to them since they're the first to spot attacks in many cases um they need to be empowered to be made to feel part of the solution. And I think it goes back to the basics of awareness in um, maintaining a culture of sharing, maintaining relationships, getting to know them, getting to know their business model, their business objectives, so that we can apply cybersecurity to their world um, and not force them to into our world. James, if you
1: had to dream up, what would you think is a future state of security where people are actually your greatest strengths? First of all, do you buy that? And if yes, what's the roadmap to that dream state?
4: So, I mean, I think anything's possible, especially if you see technology and machine learning, there's a lot of things that can happen and I think we'll continue to improve, but our adversaries will continue to pivot, right? You build a taller wall, they build taller ladders. It's just the way the world works. Um, from our standpoint, at least from my standpoint of deer, number one is you have to hire great people who are passionate about this topic, right? If you have people that are passionate about something, then coming to work is fun and easy for them. And they love driving this into our culture at John Deere. Secondly, I would tell you it's about investing. So make sure you're picking the best tools and you're really thinking through the measurements that you can can leverage to drive the behaviors you're looking for. Uh, We spend a lot of time, like I said, figuring out what the right metrics would be and how we're going to measure this as a company. And then I think the last thing is just be persistent. Like you can't keep changing strategies. I think in security, there's this aptitude to kind of pivot quickly when the next technology comes out You kind of have ADHD, if you will, a little bit around some of those technologies and the latest and greatest tools. Um, we have managed to leverage and, and build some things internally, but also just stay persistent with what we're doing and continue to report these things to the right level so that they're big and visible. That, that's the firm of the lead use the John here. Abi, if the
1: CISOs today and the coming... Uh, like, you know, the, the, the step-up step candidates for CISOs who are trying to become the leaders for tomorrow. What muscles should they start building if they want to really shift the way the security game is played, the way the adversaries attack us, and the way we solve it? But since we are talking culture, we're talking about all the softer things which needs to change because other technology and other things will anyway morphing, will be morphing in due course what new styles you would like CISOs to embrace? The mindset they should embrace, which will get us there.
2: Yeah, you know, uh, for CISOs and also, you know, CISOs who are people who are aspiring into those positions in the future, I think it's imperative, you know, for us to start speaking the business language and learning the business that we serve. It's extremely important. Uh, because well, most most people within the business, they see us cyber folks as techies. Uh, you know, most times CISOs want to talk about you know, the technical metrics. And all the business cares about is, you know, how many hours of outage have I had in my business due to a cybersecurity incident? That is basically what they're asking us. And, you know, so I think it's important. We need to learn more of the business. We need to show up uh, in the same in the same language you know speak the same language as a business and i'll give you an example in one of my past roles you know we had a situation where we had to build a strategy and roadmap for our operational technology area so we're talking about engineers who work in fields some of them were offshore as well and the only way to get them to even listen and buy into that uh, cybersecurity strategy was getting on a plane, going to meet them on site, wearing a coverall like them and eating the same lunches with them and having proper conversation around their production numbers, what their biggest worries are until we're able to communicate the same way. I think as we go into the future, this is going to be more important because the the combination of business and technology in the future, you will not be able to separate technology from the business. So Technology leaders such as CISOs, need to start speaking business language.
1: John, what help do you and or any fellow CISOs need to be able to do their job?
3: Um, we uh, we need more podcasts like this, Sanjay. really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Really yes, I'm serious. This is uh, this is really these kind of informational things are are have been key in, in myself learning the trade, but I think it helps um, others as well. I think uh, I'll, I'll say two things. One is agree 100% with Abi on the, are learning the business objectives. You have to do that. We have to fall into their world. And number two is relationship building. You have to, you have to get out there. A CISO has to get out there and meet the players, the senior level leadership, middle management, Um, of all the divisions all the organizations across the institutions across the uh, companies across the business um, you you to to do the number one that Abby said you have to do number two you have to you have to get to know them you have to they have to know you as well so um, so they know who to call that they feel comfortable calling you that they feel comfortable calling your team Um, get your team out there to meet everybody I think that's it's the, those are the two of the things that uh, are, are key. Um, so these, these podcasts, the sharing of information and maintaining collaborative relationships.
1: So James, final question for you. If there's any self-diagnostics a CISO had to do and the specific blind spots they may have today, which ones would those be which they should proactively fix for them to be able to transform from people being the weakest link to becoming the greatest trends?
4: So I, I think um, it's a really challenging question that you just asked. Uh, from, from my perspective, you know, we try to hire people in our blind spot, people that are passionate about this work, that, that are willing to take some risks and do different things. I'll give you two examples here and John Here, um, You know, you think about the, the, the escape rooms. When I first heard the idea, I was kind of like, what, how's this gonna work? But we took the risk and it worked out really well for our organization. We had a lot of folks that really enjoyed the activity and it was a great way to teach our employees about security. Another one that we've been doing, and it was really a risky thing initially, was uh, we call them teachable points of view. Like so when we have a near-miss or things happen, we'll actually schedule a call with the engineers across the company and we'll we'll walk them through what happened and how it happened and why this is such a critical thing to be aware of going forward. So uh, I think the blind spots we have sometimes is just doing things the same way we've always done them. And so we need people around us that are willing to challenge us, uh, ask really good questions. And I think also I would I'll just also add that it's, it's about sharing best practices. This podcast is awesome, uh, but, you know, we're all fighting the same adversary. So it's important that I think we speak about these things as, as CISOs, as security teams, and continue to learn from each other about what's working and what's not and how we can improve.
1: Once again, thank you so much, Abi, James, and John, for sharing your insights about how we can turn people who could be considered as weakest link into the greatest strength and make sure that cybersecurity becomes the very foundation for an organization which wishes to grow and does so confidently. Thanks so much
3: again. Thank you.
1: And uh, listeners, please connect with us on social media. Subscribe to our podcast. Hopefully you got some nuggets. Uh, once again, this is Sanjogol, uh, your host, signing off. Till next week, take care and God bless.